Welcome back to The Drop. This is Michael Saramella here to talk about everything that happened this week in surfing. Shortly, I will be joined by Buck and we are going to discuss such things as chasing the unicorn, a secret wave, maybe not so secret, in Mozambique, finally turned on again. You probably last saw it in Strange Rumblings. We're going to go there with Alan Van Geisen and the crew. We're also going to talk about some sad news that happened shortly after we recorded last week's podcast, and that is that Michaela Jones has died. We have um, yeah, a couple tributes from some people, and we're going to be doing more on this in the future on the site, so rest in peace to Michaela. We also have a stab interview with Cole Hauschman. He's leading the Challenger Series by a good margin. He's pretty much guaranteed to be in the 2024 CT, so we're going to chat with him. Uh, we're also going to talk about surfing and fear. We basically basically talked to a person who has dealt with a lot of surfers um, from the Red Bull camp and talking about what it means to have a fear threshold and how you overcome it. And Buck is going to come in with a hot take about Elo's tenure at the WSL and a surf sin that a lot of people sounded off on on Instagram. So let's get into it. Let's drop in. Wow, Mikey. We are speaking on a very controversial day for professional surfing. What day is that? J-Bay, day one, the opening day. And, I mean, I have to just pose the question. Should airs be allowed in WSL contest? <laughs> I think that I think that's the big argument here. Should they even be allowed? Yeah, I mean, two, um, two American white men having this conversation is exactly what needs to happen. Um, we, we <laughs> definitely our opinion matters most in <laughs> um yeah no i don't think it's i don't think it flies well yeah so to speak yeah i get it um no i think all surfing should happen i mean i honestly think all surfing should happen you know at least 25 percent below the lip like anything that even like nears the precipice of the wave is too much in my opinion if you go near that's how people get caught snowboarding the avalanche is like a cornice thing they go up because we're big in the ski community and so these guys know what I'm talking about. You get too close to the, the thing, and there's a cornice, and then um, the, the bad things happen. The beacon goes out. Beep, beep, beep. You got to find the guy. It's crazy what they do. Yeah. Shout out professional ski community. But if you haven't watched J-Bay, day one, uh, Yago Dora landed a big old backside full row, got 9.27, and people are mad online about it. It's dangerous. It's just re-sparked this debate about what the judges are doing and if it's good or if it's bad or if they score errors, if they don't. And, um, I, I actually love it. I love it. it. These, they make, these days make me happy. It's so entertaining. Yeah, it's great. And it's funny because like, no matter what the WSL judges do, they just can't win. No. I think we've all probably been in a situation like that in our lives, but they go one too far one way or too far the other way. And somebody's always going to be mad at them. They've got the worst and hardest job in the world of surfing. And I think they're doing largely a great job. Yago won that heat. We all know it. We all know it. Um, on the WSL post, which I think has right around a thousand comments when we're speaking, I thought Kolohe left a great comment, which was, I love this score. The judges have to be aware of where they are pushing the sport and what they're telling the youth. Is it wave selection in big sections or someone actually pushing the limits of what you can do on a surfboard? I'd choose the latter. Yago on fire. I'm a big fan. Fucking love it. I, I love where Chloe is at right now. Um, not in rankings wise, because he's in the simultaneously, yeah, the best place and worst place he's ever been in his career. Yeah, but I feel like just where his head at, where his head is at, is incredible. Which we'll actually get to that in a later story. Um, we're gonna get to the news, but just one more thing before we get there. I just I think the best part about days like this for me is when you read comments and you could tell somebody is actually angry, like somebody. Saw Yago Dora do an air, saw the score come in, and their pupils dilated, their heart rate went up, their blood pressure went up, and they just felt that the world was unjust. And somewhere in the back of their mind, they knew that there's like children being born into just extreme poverty or slavery, and that's not really, you know, that's not getting them all in a tizzy, but this Yago Dora getting a 9.27 makes them feel that the planet, the world, everything is just so unjust, and... um that's what professional surfing means to me. And as if they did this, they would not like tell their friends about it for fucking years, decades. It would, it would be the only thing they ever talked about is that. Like a lot of people have surfed a wave at a point break well and, you know, done a couple good turns, maybe got the fins out, gotten a little barrel. But doing what Yago did on that wave, like n nobody who's mad about that score has ever done that. 
Guaranteed. No, no. It's simple. Ban airs. It's over. Let's get to the news. Premium Peak chasing the unicorn. The unicorn, also known as African Kira, is a sand bottom wave in Mozambique, which to me looks absolutely miserable. I do not think that I could make a barrel out there, but this is a documentary that uh, has a lot of people making barrels out there and also shows kind of the whole history of surfing in Mozambique. Um, one thing I really like about it is it shows like the... I've heard this about African surfing, but it, this one, Chasing the Unicorn, shows it. But what I've heard is that like people there really, because there wasn't a surf culture there, they have to like invent their own. They have to like, it's able to be so much more of its own thing rather than pulling so much influence from what we've been doing for the past, fuck, since we hijacked it from Hawaiians. Um, and that's cool. Mikey, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, this wave is in surfing lore forever because of strange rumblings. So that section still stands out to me as one of the best sections of all time as a proud regular footer. And so, that I mean, immediately I was interested in what this film was going to be about. And the film's great. Like you said, it covers sort of the, the local side of things and then also gets into the people who chase this wave whenever it works, which is not often. They say maybe once or twice a year that it breaks and they've done a few trips there. I mean, actually, one of my favorite things was not in the video itself, but in the interview that we did with Alan Van Geysen. And he gave us an anecdote about that Strange Rumblings trip. And he said, I remember while filming for Strange Rumblings with Joe G, Brendan Gibbons flew across the entire globe to catch this swell and join the team. Seven flights and 72 hours later, he rolled out of the car to see grinding four to six foot pits across the spit, rushed to get his boards, and as he paddled out, the entire ocean went flat. He sat in the lineup for 30 minutes, caught a two foot wave, did an air reverse, and came in. <laughs> I mean, that's just, that's think, beautiful. Do you think you can laugh in that moment? Or, like, do you think, what do you do? I think Brendan's such a polite and level headed guy that I couldn't really see him being mad. But, like, I don't know how you respond to that. Like, if, if you just went through all that and just did an air reverse and came in. I don't really know. That's not in the film. Like you said, that's in the interview, but... Um... That should have been the ender. That should have been the ender clip, 100%. His only wave in the entire section, and it's, <laughs> it's the smallest wave, and the whole thing just does a little air reverse. <laughs> oh, my God. Like I love hearing but... the backstories of those iconic sections. There's actually another piece that we're working on, quote-unquote. There's a bit of stuff going on around it, but it's the best surfing I've ever seen with Mini Blanchard um, from that Japan section in Deer Suburbia. And he gives a backstory about the big day on the trip that I had no idea about, that there was another surfer there that we didn't get to see in the film who injured themselves and basically had to watch that happen from the beach. Um, so just hearing, yeah, hearing the stories behind those iconic surf sessions from films is always really interesting to me, and this was one that stood out. But luckily, Brendan Gibbons makes his way back to the unicorn, and this time he does get barreled, can confirm. I know, I know. And I mean, I bet the flip side of that, like, I don't think a wave is just a wave. You know, like, I think if, if that place was just churning them out consistently, if you got one, you'd be like, yeah, of course I got one. It does this, you know, 100 days a year. And I just went there and I got one. But I couldn't imagine like knowing, like having full knowledge that it's so fickle and that you actually got one. I mean, there's one of Mikey Feb the end that must just add so much more to the feeling. You know, the whole story that you're building up in your head about that. So yeah, incredible, incredible little film. I really enjoyed it. I mean, it kind of makes sense. Like you were just with Brendan Gibbons thing. South Africa is far from pretty much everything um they pretty much have to travel for like 20 hours anytime they go anywhere it can be hard for them to get visas i think too so they actually share a border with mozambique so it does make sense for them to have a nice interest in that place and really figure out what the waves are doing there and uh shout out min Cho too i had heard of him but he just i think it was the first time i heard him speak and he just has lovely energy to him he's a mozambican mozambican surfer Mincho, son Mincho, um, fucking rips, and it was great to really get to know him more too. Yeah, great little piece of film. Good energy. Get it on Stab Premium live now. Get there. Ho 
Hawaiian surf royalty suffers horrific and fatal surf injury in the Mentawais. It's likely that you've already heard about this. Uh, the title is referencing Michaela Jones, who on the morning of July 9th, which was last Sunday, suffered an accident surfing the Mentawais. Um, his leg was cut open. It got the femoral artery, probably from a fin, and he did not make it. He was 44. He was a father of three. Um, I'm sure most of you know about him. He was a North Shore guy, Rocky Point, born and raised. Um, but I think he's most known for the pioneering sessions he did in Indo, uh, which to me is like the epitome of like, kind of like you were talking about with the Yago era before, people trying to say something about something they've never done. I feel like I've seen so many shots of Michaela Jones where it just looks like he's standing like arch back in the most perfect way of ever. And you're like, oh, I want to be there. But then if you had any context about how hard it is to get to that wave and how sketchy it is and how fucked up that takeoff probably was, you're like, oh, I'm probably just not going to go all the way to that wave instead. Um, he was just a hell of a surfer, really charged, and yeah, explored a lot of Indo and got some psycho waves that many of them are probably burned in your head. I see it as still, but he did a lot of uh, of stuff, especially with GoPro too. Yeah, I mean, he's one of the only people to get GoPro like POV cover shots. Like that's pretty unheard of. Um, and it, this is just so sad to me. And oh, I don't know how to explain it, but it just doesn't seem like it should even be possible. Like after everything this guy did, he was just such a positive influence, I think, on so many people. And he, he did so many crazy things. And then for for this to just happen and, you know, when he wasn't out on some crazy wave chasing excursion he was on a trip with his family i think the first trip that he'd done to the mints in a long time and he brought his family along there did happen to be a good swell while he was there which i think is um when he injured himself but i don't know it just it seems wrong for for this to happen to a guy like him um and i never met mccullough but there were a lot of really great tributes that came out of this from surfers and friends and uh we put them on the site but one of my favorite ones was from cliff capono who we've talked about on this uh, podcast before he's a really good surfer and also a scientist just a really intelligent and thoughtful guy from hawaii as well and i just wanted to read cliff's tribute because i thought it really spoke to who makala was as a person so here we go the last slide this is referencing cliff's instagram post was my first time surfing real pipe 2006 ish I was way too intimidated to sit out at Second Reef with Healy, Stewart, Goodwin, Tamayo, and Kalani. I was also way too scared to surf next to Jamie, Bruce, Makua, and Barka. So I floated around, trying my best to get washed in, just so I wouldn't have to catch a wave. For some silly reason, I figured it would be smart to sit deeper on First Reef and just inside of Second, a free agent zone at the time that has since been celebrated by the likes of Eli, Nathan, Benji, Kala, Makai, and many others. I remember looking at the lineup and being amazed by all my heroes. As it often does, my chance to catch a wave came after a lot of waiting. Healy stood up early out the back but couldn't get in. Amayan was paddling just inside of him and missed it, eventually yelling, Go! It was really steep. I never rode a 7-2 before. Barely got to my feet and somehow made it to the bottom but lost all my speed. I spent all my energy on the drop. I tried to pump but it didn't work. I panicked and jumped into the lip from below as the ocean imploded onto the first reef. It was the first time that I remember questioning if I would die. There was no time to pray or be afraid for anything, just a deer in the headlight type moment. And right before the ocean descended on my helpless body, I felt something pull me out. I felt something pull me out the back. A miracle, I thought, as I popped up, literally right next to a long-haired man with perfectly straight teeth. He grabbed my shoulder and said, "Hey, kid, don't do that again." I'm sure he could see how shook up I was and continued, "Just trust you'll make it." As he paddled away, I could hear him scream with excitement. I decided to take things easy and watch for a bit from the channel. I c it couldn't have been more than five minutes until the same guy was up and surfing on the next set. He engaged the rail from the takeoff, let go of his board, stood straight up into an emerald cathedral. He was flying. After kicking out right next to me, he smiled and said, See? That was my first time meeting Macaulay Jones, a real-life angel. <laughs> that story is so good. Um, I love Healy's as well. I'm not going to read it word for word, but the gist of it is that Healy was a kid growing up in the North Shore, didn't have much money, um, 
And without Healy asking or anything, McCullough just like saw him around and kind of had this sense somehow. And McCullough was like, I think a teenager at the time too. So not really a time where you're intuitive or thinking of others normally, but he could just kind of tell that Healy was in need of a bigger board. I guess he saw him just taking risks in whatever ways he get on. So Healy gave him a board and kind of kickstarted his big wave career. Healy said he just went to like, made a point to surf like every North Shore big wave after that. And I just thought that was so cool. But yeah, to your point, there's been so, so many. I mean, the guy played a role in so many people's lives. He was so well known in the community. We have a a kind of tribute piece coming on him written by Chris Binns with some photography from Nate Lawrence. That will be going live this weekend. And um, yeah, it's it's horrible, but he lived a good life, I guess. He sure did. Um, and yeah, just a lot of respect and love for his family who can't even imagine what they're going through right now. But um, yeah, the surf industry and community is here to support you guys. So yeah, rest in peace, Makala. The Stab interview with Cole Hauschmand, your current Challenger Series ratings leader. And I think a mathematical lock, at least by our uh monkey math for the 2000 for sure i mean you're not gonna win two events and not qualify it's it's not even math at that point it's psychology and you don't win two events and not qualify (laughs) so 2024 tour surfer cole hausmand he's 22 he's 6'3 he i learned through this interview was an mlb quality baseball player um even almost got pulled away from surfing he's still so young they're like hey you could still probably train a bit and like go play major league baseball fucking wild um insane insane his story uh son of an iranian immigrant to the united states and there he is top of the challenger series rankings mikey what do you make of cole you fan big fan yeah i've liked his surfing for a long time um i remember him when he was like a little kid like he was just this goofy foot with really good style out at lowers and he didn't strike me as like somebody who was going to necessarily be this big superstar but then he grew a lot and his surfing sort of like developed along with that and now i feel like he has this amazing blend of power and style and spark that honestly it seems like a really good fit for the ct so i'm glad to see him finally doing well i know he had a really rough year last year where he just i think he said he didn't make a heat for like four months which is just so crazy to show like how hard professional surfing is like that you can be that good but the competition is just so difficult that you know one year you can't make a heat the next year you've won two cs events and you're at the top of the ranking so obviously a lot of that is mental and in this interview he talks a lot about how kolohe and griffin have both helped him in different ways in sort of the mental space kolohe being around and kind of creating that camaraderie of the two two of the two percent crew and then griffin kind of teaching him about journaling and meditation and all that and now he's pretty much at top of the world or at top of the second tier of the world top of the second tier hey it's a we are a second tier podcast so we love to see it but yeah the stuff with kolohe and griffin him talking about that is just so cool to hear i mean we mentioned kolohe in the intro but seeing those guys really it's one thing to say that you want to do that i feel like anybody would say like oh i want to be a good role model or i want to give back to the younger people or whatever that's like the most generic thing you could say few people put that in action and it seems like griffin and especially kolohe are really really acting on that and it's fucking sick to see and it's even sicker to see it actually working so good stuff um if i didn't make a heat for like a year i'd probably consider baseball as well i understand where he's coming from there and uh a lot of games you'd be bound to win one at some point in baseball you just something get get something you know so let's hear from cole let's hear his voice kuyo young conducted this interview and so let's get cole's voice on the program here see what he has to say for himself i remember him telling me that at some point there might have been some guys that played baseball trying to tell you to like train with them and telling you that you're in the wrong sport yeah is that is that true yeah last year um the beginning of last year um well i played baseball growing up and i was a lefty pitcher in first base and i could hit the ball too so 
I had guys like when I was younger telling me if I stuck with it that I'll be playing in the major leagues out of high school. And that always kind of stuck with me in the side of my head and then I kind of forgot about it. And last year, um, one of my good friends who surfs lowers, I, he's older, but Jarrett Riot, he uh, used to play for the Yankees and he's been in a few World Series. He's retired now, but he saw me in the gym. He's like, dude, you got to start throwing the baseball again. And I was like, I'd be down, but I'm kind of locked in on the surfing thing right now. And I was in like a weird phase where I was kind of not getting results and stuff. So I was like, kind of like, oh, I'll just go throw the baseball around. Like, can't hurt me. When was this? Um, This was beginning of last year, 2020. Okay. So it was a while ago. I was like, oh, like a little over a year ago, I'd say. Um, And yeah, for about like a month or two. I was on this training program of, like, throwing the baseball around, like, trying to get my speed up, working on my shoulder, like, mobility. Where were you training at? Um, I was just training at uh, just the gym, like, Lifetime, and then I'd go to the park with him and throw around and stuff, and Eli and all the guys would come, and we'd all go and, like, hit balls, and I'd pitch to them, and I was, like, into it for, like, a couple weeks, and then I went to Barbados, and I ended up getting second in the comp, which was, like, my best result in a long time and qualified for the challenger series again and after that i was like fuck this i gotta keep surfing you know and yeah i kind of just went out the window i never really like looked back on it but it's always crazy you always think like what if i did that or what if i played soccer like i'd be making a lot more money and be like well off and playing big sports but you can't do it for the money so um it's always crazy to look back and see like what you could have done maybe but you know, all you have is the now, so you gotta live in the moment. I like that. Um, looking back now, you feel like you made the right decision sticking with surfing? Yeah, I feel like I made the right decision. I mean, you gotta do what you love, and who knows uh, what, if I would've done something else, I probably would've been miserable, and surfing's one of the best sports in the world. Whether you're competing or not, just to, like be in the water every day, like people talk about, it's like healing, you know, it's a healing sport. And yeah, it's something I can do for my whole life. And now my family does it. So it's, uh, I definitely made the right decision and I'm no second guessing now. We're not just out there having fun. You might think that surfing is fun. Sometimes I think surfing is fun too, but guess what? That's not the full story. So this piece from August Howell, who we are also about to hear from, is about, I guess, the psychology slash neurochemistry of surfing. Um, basically, I think I've seen quite a few things of people trying to answer the question of, like, why does surfing feel good for human beings? And this gets into that a little bit. But one thing that I really liked that August did was he talked about the role of fear in that. That's almost like the focus of this piece. Basically maybe not even our most enjoyable moments in surfing, but the most satisfying, the thing that probably brings us back again and again a lot is when we step a little bit outside our comfort zone, which is different for all of us, and um, you know, get a little bit tense, get a little bit scared, conquer some boundaries, and then boom, move on. Mikey, some thoughts before we hear from August? Well, I, I just, I love the idea of a fear threshold. And like, to your point, everybody's is different. And I feel like I've even seen mine shift, you know, throughout my life. And even in the past, like, few years, especially, like, I've just been more exposed to kind of, like, bigger, heavier surf on a regular basis. And I feel myself getting more and more comfortable. Um, and, you, I mean, you even see that in guys up at the CT level. Like, some people are clearly comfortable at big chopes and pipe. And other guys are figuring it out and kind of, like, forcing themselves into positions that they probably aren't comfortable in. Um so yeah, Buck, what would you say your fear threshold is? Because the metric that he uses in this is wave height, which obviously is kind of like a one-dimensional thing because you know a six-foot wave can be way scarier than a 15-foot wave in certain circumstances. But if you were just to consider like a normal wave, not like a back-breaking slab, where do you think your fear threshold lies in feet? To your point of how much it shifts, I saw a wave the other day where it didn't scare me. It was only like maybe a little bit overhead but it had a really steep drop and it was just like it wasn't even fear it's just like oh shit i haven't had to like think about this for a while it's just been summertime here and the waves have been pretty consistent small but fun um and i was like oh shit i need to like i might airdrop you know it was a funny thing that reminded me of like oh yeah that's a thing that happens in surfing too i almost forgot like 
I almost forgot that in the winter you're just you know standing in tubes here. Um, so it is funny because I think you have it changes so much and one session can change it one trip especially can change it i feel like uh after the last time i was in hawaii which was with you it's you almost want to take that glow with you and like apply it to like <laughs> as many other waves as you can before it slowly wears off so um i have a shit answer which is it changes by the day <laughs> it's true though i mean to be fair like yeah i, I had that same experience with hawaii but I feel like, okay, so like thinking about a wave like sunset, right? Which is like heavy, but not heavy, heavy. Like I'm pretty comfortable out there when it's, you know, going with feet is so hard. It's like, whatever, it's such a loaded fucking thing. But I, I would say like double overhead, I'm feeling pretty comfortable. But yeah, when it starts like pushing above that into like the, you know, 15 to 18 foot face range it starts to get like a little uncomfortable and then there's some days at sunset like one of the days we paddled out there it's just fucking huge and like the whole time i'm having zero fun at all but i'm out there because like there is something to be gained from that experience well one is hopefully you push your boundary a little bit further but two you do have those moments when the waves are like that and you do something that you didn't think you were necessarily capable of. And those are the things that you sort of go home with at the end of a trip like that. Yeah. Yeah. And what's funny too, is that I think at least in my experience, the difference between where that fear kind of starts registering to like the craziest waves I've ever surfed isn't much. It's like, it's either you're scared. It's almost binary to me. It's almost like, okay, I'm pretty scared in these waves or, I'm not scared at all. It's not, once I'm in that fear zone, it's like, whatever, the fucking waves are dangerous. Let's just see what happens, you know? Um, so it's, it's an interesting thing, but let, let's hear from August. Let's have him tell us about the story and about fear and about surfing and eventually about otters, which we'll get to. Mikey, Buck, loyal stab listeners. Hope you're doing well. August Howell here. Got a new piece on stab right now titled Surfing Should Scare You. Uh, basically, the idea behind this was that while we all know surfing feels really good and is enjoyable for so many of us, I wanted to dive a little deeper and examine the other side of it and talk about fear and how it can sort of uh, make or break a session for you. Uh, one of the people I spoke with for this was Dr. Michael Gervais. Uh, he's a pretty renowned sports psychologist, got a very popular podcast, uh, and he's worked with or did work with Red Bull for a number of years, um, basically helping athletes reach their goals, overcome their fears, and uh, achieve, yeah, achieve their dreams. Uh, this piece also dives into a bit of brain chemistry and what happens with our endorphins when we're surfing and when we're afraid in the water. And it turns out it's not all that bad out there and in the right situation, a, a fear can help you out and perform even better. Michael told me that surfers are actually really good at dealing with fear because it's basically inseparable from surfing, even when it's not you know, a scary, scary situation. Uh, this concept also connects with a term called flow state, which you've probably heard uh, referenced outside of surfing too. It's basically a heightened sense of pleasure and awareness that allows you to do really crazy stuff. So I chatted with Parker Coffin about that and, uh, how he dealt with overcoming fear at Pipeline after a severe head injury. Uh, yeah, so hope you all enjoy and learned a little bit like I did. And uh, Please feel free to leave a comment about your scariest moment in the water and maybe Michael can help you out. All right, cheers. Opinion. Eric Logan's changes were mostly good for surfing. Mostly is in parentheses. Hot take, Buck. Hot take. I wrote this one. I never thought I would write this one. It took some real sitting down and, and thinking about what he's done. and Soul searching. Fuck, I never thought I'd be on Eric Logan's side. I'm still not really comfortable with it. Um, I am probably not going to look. I don't look at Instagram that much anyway, but I'm definitely not going to look whenever this hits social because I'm sure people will just be yelling at me. And um, instead of uh, listening to them, I'll just go surf and have a beer instead. Ha, can't get me if I don't pick my phone up, nerds. Kolohe's definitely going to yell at you. Yep, they're going to be mad. Uh, but guess what? You can't get me if I don't look at my phone. Ha. So 
All right, Mikey, I know, I know, and I know listeners, it doesn't sound good. Opinion, Eric Logan's changes were mostly good for serving. I know that he's fucking getting around his pink tuxedo. I put the goddamn photo in this article of him in the, in the pink tuxedo. But let's just go through it. Let's go through it together, Mikey. Let's look at these changes and see if I am making a reasonable opinion here. Mid-year cut, I call the loss just off the jump. That, I don't like it. I know it kind of adds high stakes to random two events, Bells and Margaret River, but like, what if you had to watch people like fight for their spot on tour at Chopu? That would be fucking better, wouldn't it? So I'm just, I don't, I think the cut just sucks. Uh, You agree? Okay, but you also, well, you also made a point in the cut thing that it's like, if you want to have this many people on tour, just have this many people on tour from the start. And I actually back that. I think the slim down tour is better. I like the back half of the year because I know that they can finish in three days. It feels lighter. They get into important heats a lot faster. I think it's a better overall experience. So that's what I would do. Yeah, just trim it down. Don't don't half-ass it. But to me, the mid-year cut, it's not just that they're trying to add drama. I get that they are, but I think it's like a stepping stone because you can't just go from whatever thirty-four people on tour to what it is now which is 24 in a given year like there needs to be some sort of like stepping stone otherwise the surfers would freak out some fans would freak out so to me this is like a stepping stone to a slim down tour so i get that yeah it's shitty for the surfers i do think it adds some entertainment value for the fans i do like it in that respect but if i'm seeing this as a stepping stone i actually think that it could be a win because yeah I, i think that a slim down tour would benefit everyone Wow. Okay. Really good point, Mike. You really good point. Cause yeah, like you said, I kind of wrote in there, like if you want to just have a slim tour, do that. But, uh, stepping stones, I like it. Great billabong film as well. So that brings us to the finals, which I count as a tie. I know that's frustrating, but it is going to be the only tie on this list. Personally, I like the finals. The numbers seem to suggest that a lot of other people like the finals too. The last one they said got 8.2 million people watching it the live stream and all the different kind of channels it was fed out into that was the best number of all time for them so you got to acknowledge that i know some people think that it should be the old system where it's just the best surfing around a year and i think there is merit in that which is why i gave it a tie but personally i'm for the finals uh mikey what do you think i'm all for the finals i i do recognize that yes maybe it's not the fairest way to pick the world title winners but i do think that for the sake of the sport and keeping it interesting it needs to adopt and evolve just like we're seeing in other sports as well so um yeah i'm calling this one a win as well and i'm seeing a blue horizon for the wsl for the final five that's another billabong film and another thing to note here is it's not like he just showed up in his pink tuxedo like some psychopath from oprah had this idea of a crazy playoffs finals we know that the idea of a playoff system uh not crowning the champion the old way just throughout the year but a playoff system has been kind of considered by the wsl for decades and then a lot of this motion towards it came from a meeting that was held in fiji in 2017 featuring a bunch of former world title winners who it sounded like i mean i'm sure there's some disagreements in the meeting but it sounds like the main sentiment there is like, hey, it would have been cool to win our world titles in the water. Like, I don't want to win a world title when there's two events left and I'm standing on the beach because somebody lost. Um, from what I understand, that conversation in Fiji in 2017, which predates ELO's tenure by two or three years, uh, was a big spark for this change. It just happened during ELO's reign. So consider that as well. Next one, narratives. That uh, many people have accused Eric Logan of being uh, AI before AI's time. Uh, his his way of writing and speaking felt very artificial intelligency, and I think the word that he probably used most the word that he probably used most was narratives. He just loved that word. He wanted to tell narr- tell stories about fucking Kelly Slater's lost tapes to Ultimate Surfers to Make or Break. Uh, he, I think. Based off of that, based off just how much he talked about it, I think that is something that he was actually probably most passionate about, is just trying to get people to learn more about the surfers on tour so that they care more to watch the contest. Um, I think that was a win. My only way to frame that as a loss, I think, is if they were just spending a ton of money on it because it's not the sport itself. It's making content. Um, 
in which case, yeah, maybe it was a miss if they were like over, over investing in that. Otherwise, I think it fully makes sense to invest at least some money and efforts into telling stories about the people that you're asking people to go watch. Okay, I'm saying this is a loss. I understand that they had some success with Make or Break. I liked the first season. Second season, not so much. It clearly got canceled. Um, the Ultimate Surfer, I mean, that is just, that's the result of giving the reins to somebody who was born in Oklahoma and they're now frothing on surfing. Um, you kind of just let him go. He's free as a dog. And uh, I think we, we saw the worst of the WSL in that. So I'm going to give that one a big loss. Mm-hmm. You know, good point. Execution left something to be desired, but I think in general that theory was good. But yeah, I mean, Ultimate Surfer, I'll give you that one. We'll go. We'll keep going. I'm going to group these together because there's really no way I think you could disagree with either of them. The synced up tours, meaning men and women's schedule completely synced up so that the women are now at Chopu and Pipeline. Let's just, there's... We call that the interlusion of the tours. The interlude. There we go. There we go. Oh, we missed that with narratives. Or was that... You you, you also... No, you... you, No, no, no. You missed Frothing and Free as a Dog. Oh, shit. Wow. You you really had to get recent for me to ring a bell. Free as a Dog is great. Um, Anyway, good points, Mikey. Good billabong films, but... The tour sync and the three tier system. Tour sync, like I said, is the is the synced up tours. Three tier system having a QS that doesn't go around the world, making people qualify through the regions to get to the CS, to get to the CT. That just makes sense too. The trilogy. The trilogy. Yeah. Yes, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> uh, so those are both wins, right? Is there any way to say that we should still have a WQS where it's just around the world with one stars to six stars to ten stars to prime? No, let's just not. And then no, we, this is so much better. This is amazing. It's so much better. I've even been to a QS that was like the last of the season here in Europe, and the vibe at it was sick. It was intense. It was it was fucking awesome. It was really cool to see. Whereas it would just been so meaningless otherwise. So absolute win those two. And now another one that I'm sure is going to get me in trouble. I feel like you're probably going to disagree with it. I called his brand positioning a win. And oh, I know, I know it's a fucking tough one to defend. I know it is. I know it is. I know it's probably probably the most controversial thing in the surf community about the WSL. The way or the reason why I called it a win is because I think that he had to, I mean, he had to sell the World Surf League to people or he had to make sure it was a sellable product to people, right? If you're going to go to a big company that has no fucking idea what surfing is and just tell them, Hey, look, we're sustainable and progressive and young and cool. You're just telling them what they want to hear. And if you have to fucking plant a couple of shrubs to do it or put some names on the back of a Jersey, who cares? I think it's like, I think that's so much more of an opportunity to just present yourself that way than it is to just like appease a fucking 55 year old dude from, Newport Beach on Instagram. Oh God! I mean, to me, Buck, this is this is not a good call. Um, yeah, I'm gonna have to say that anybody that is a core surfer that watches the WSL, they know that the tone is off. It's been led astray. It's targeting people that are not surfers, and as a result, it's sort of lost the core core value. So I'm off it. Um, this is no green iguana. But what what do you mean by that? What do you what do you mean? What what's different? What's different about the product of professional live surfing being streamed to us than it was before? Other than every now and then they have a opening ceremony with a, a people that they're paying to act like um, you know white people didn't do anything wrong. All right, I had a call with Pat O'Connell this morning. Um, I'll explain to everybody why next week, but there's a very specific reason why. Stab Premium members may know. Uh, and we had a good chat about this. So I'm going to reserve my, my take until that piece, and then I think you'll, you'll see it laid out plainly. All right. All right. Well, either way, a few good wins on the board. So we both have the cut as a loss. The finals were a tie. Narratives, you said a loss. I kind of had the cut as a win. Do you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Stepping Stone, the Billabong movie. That got us all the Billabong films. Um, so my list is four, one, and one. Yours is what? Uh, I'm one, two, three, four. I'm four and two. He wins either way. Four and two. Four, one, and one. You're four and two. 
So it was mostly good. Um, if you feel otherwise, be sure to leave a comment on Instagram because I'll be checking them nonstop. I'll be living on there and um, letting them affect me spiritually and emotionally. All right, a few more things to mention before we get to the surf sin. Um, we have been rolling out our reader survey results. We exposed the our audience's favorite male surfers this week. Go read that. Female surfers is coming next Monday. Um, we've got another week of the better beer quiz. I got two wrong this time. It was very upsetting. It was, I, I knew that I was going to get the one wrong and I got it wrong and I still, it's just frustrating. It's when you feel like you should have a take back and you can't have a take back, but the better beer quizzes have been fun. Mikey, how'd you do on this one? I got smoked by this one. I got like four wrong. Really? Yeah. It makes me question, like, what have I been doing my whole... Like, I've been doing this my whole life, but I'm not even good at this, apparently. Have you had a question that you wrote that was your favorite one? Um, uh, which well-endowed rock star stole Pamela Anderson from Kelly Slater? Oh, I like that one. I think that's on next week's. Yeah, yeah, I saw that one. I've, I've, I saw that quiz. I think my favorite question I've come up with so far was the one about who Andy Irons fought in uh, France the one year. Um, of course, mm. the answer was Mick Campbell. Kind of lost. Yeah, Mick fucking, <laughs> he really got, <laughs> he's seen some demons too, I guess. Um, anyway, that's my favorite question so far. Go take the quiz. If you're from Australia, you have a chance to win some free beer. What's better than that? I can tell you what's better than that it is when otters attack people. Um, we have a story on the site now titled Santa Cruz Otter Violently Protests Against Wave Storms, Tech Dorks, and Coastal Gentrification. There has been an otter in Santa Cruz, California, just raising absolute hell. Uh, their understanding is that <laughs> it is it is the child of another otter who was also a hellraiser, and it's just so good to see. There's something so good. If surfing, if you asked me what does surfer need more of, I would say just non-fatal interactions with marine life. I know that that's probably not the environmentally mm. right thing to do. There's probably some argument that the animals, it's bad. Yeah. Be it. Or or terrestrial life. Do you remember the, the wild boar in Hawaii? Yeah. If we could just have more like, you know, somewhat violent run-ins, like non, you know, you don't want them to be really harmful, potentially serious. Like a little injury is fine. A little cut, a little scrape, all good. But uh, nothing life-threatening. It's just so good. It's so good. I wish that surfing, it would be, surfing would be so much cooler if we had otters just fucking with us the whole time. So shout out to the otter. Um, if you're a listener, you get a free, <laughs> a free year subscription. <laughs> if you're an otter and you attack anybody, that's a new rule. Um, anyway, what's coming next? We've got a joyride coming from Stace, who I'm sure you guys will also be doing a pod from J-Bay, which looks like it'll wrap early next week. We've got Stab Edit of the Year entry from Miguel Blanco coming next week. Really good, by the yeah, way. Yeah, it's fucked up. Really impressive, that little film he put together. And Miguel's edit, not only is it incredible, but it's also great timing because you are about to see him munt himself on Stab Highway Europe, presented by Monster Energy. That episode one is dropping July 27th. Um, we're going to have a big party in France. I'm going to be there. It's going to be that following weekend, the 28th or the 29th. I'll let you know the details when they're locked in. But if you're around, come. It's the big, um, I think something happened with the running of the bulls in the Fete de Pamplona today where a gate fucked up. They don't run bulls at this one, but there's a Fete de Bayonne that is the most absurd party I've ever seen. It's so good. everywhere. Everybody wears white and red and just cooks themselves. It is absolutely lawless. Um People are doing drugs in the street and having sex in the street and camping roundabouts, and the law just looks the other way for I think a three or four day stretch, and it's right in that weekend too. So if you can get to that area, highly recommend it. I'll see you there. And uh, time for a surf sin. Stab! I got a surf sin. So it's Fourth of July. Everybody is everywhere. Everybody and their moms is out in the water. Um, a good left comes in, and this orange soft top kid, he's not like a kid, he's like 17, 18 years old, maybe 16. But um, but he goes on this left, and I'm gonna, and this kid's not that good, so obviously I go. Um, he launches his board out at me, 
and fucking tries to hit me. I wasn't pissed that the board hit me, but I was pissed that he tried to do that. So the next wave, he fucking, right comes in, I go, he burns me, I tackle him, our heads collide, and I kind of belittled him. I said, um, I said, dude, don't fucking do that. And he goes, well, well, you did it to me first. And I go, okay, but you fucking suck ass. You're awful at surfing. You're terrible. And it was just, I just feel kind of shitty. I belittled him. So please give me a penance. Thank you, Stab. Oh, I've kind of got some deep thoughts on this one. Mikey, you gotta, I'll let you start. Wow. Okay. I mean, well, the first thing that I thought was there's just like this incredibly palpable East Coast energy, like just the, the voice yeah. and the tone, just like so much unearned confidence. And I mean, just a real like Jersey dirtbag he struck me as. Takes one to know one. So I actually reached out to this kid and I was like, hey, where are you from? And he said, I'm from New Jersey, but now I live in Ventura. Yes. So, yes, we can own, we can claim him as one of our own, um, proudly. I knew it. I could, a mile away. <laughs> a mile away, I knew. So, there were some really good uh, comments on our Instagram. Among some bullying, we don't like to bully our surf centers. Remember, these people are the most, like, even if they did wrong, they're the most self-aware surfers on the planet. They're outing their sins to everybody on a public forum. They want to receive a penance. We've all done bad things, so don't bully our surf centers. One penance came from domicile underscore co. I think they're a company of some sort, but they said penance wreck. Go to the skate park and drop in on every local until he gets called out. Um, I think that's good because it's kind of doing something similar. Assuming this person isn't a great skater, he'd be sort of like the kook in this situation. And um, yeah, see if you can ruffle some feathers in the skating world. I will say skaters are pretty chill for the most part, probably because they're not fighting for waves. The ramp's just kind of there. But skating's a pretty cool co culture. But eventually you're going to get yelled at by some skinhead guy with uh, knee-high socks. So I thought that was a good penance. Yep, yep, yep. I like that one. Uh, simple one of him just saying yes to play surf instructor for a day from stoketography, uh, giving people waves and soft tops. You know, it's, that's... I'll, I'll go with that. I'll give him a little shout out. He was taking the more nice route, but uh, Mikey, again, I have some deep thoughts, so I just get the get your penance because I'm gonna I got a thing. Okay, got it. All right. So I mean, to me, clearly, like some people in the water definitely need to be like worded up and explained how things work, but you definitely don't have to be that much of a dickhead. Like he was a real dickhead to this guy, um, and we've learned in the workplace that. There's a really good way to deliver criticism to, to people, and it's called a compliment sandwich. And what you do is you put uh, kind of like a, you know, like a mean, not a necessarily mean thing, but something that somebody can improve on between two things that they're doing really well. So like if this instance were to happen again, here's what I want our surf center to do. So you compliment them first by saying like, hey, man, like great pop up or whatever it is. You know, maybe he did something well and it can be like kind of snarky a little bit, but it has to come across as a compliment. You can know it's like a diss low key, but it has to come across as a compliment. And then you follow it up with the thing is I was going to do a massive layback on that section. So just make sure you look back next time before you take off. And then you hit him with one more compliment. You say, but honestly, I think it's really brave of you to wear your leash on your front foot. Keep up the good work. And I think everybody's going to do better in that situation. I think that the, the learner person is going to, um, one, have a better kind of understanding of how surfing in a crowded lineup works. They're not going to turn into this like defensive crazy person because you weren't a dick to them. And also, you're going to go home feeling a lot better. Again, the world's going to be a better place. So that's my penance. You have to treat people with kindness and respect, even if they're loser, dork, beginners. I like it. Shout out Gilherm Meherde and uh, Matt Keckley front foot leashers till they die all right so waffle house inc is an american restaurant chain with over 1900 locations in 25 states in the united states the bulk of the locations are in the midwest and especially the south where the chain is a cultural icon now the thing about the waffle house is that it's open 24 7 and you can get a lot of food there for still under probably $10. I think I looked, yeah, I think there was a, a plate for eight that seemed to, you know, give you diabetes, heart disease, everything you want, 3,000 calories. So 24-7, very cheap food. 
and there's a thing about people fighting in the Waffle House. Um, there are Twitter mm, accounts I've seen dedicated this. to it, uh, compilations on YouTube. Earlier this year, the New York Times suggested that one Waffle House fight belongs in a museum. Uh, that's true. Look it up. So now Waffle House has this reputation for people fighting. But the thing is, the Waffle House serves an estimated 160 million customers a year. Not that many of them are fighting. And to me, surfing is the Waffle House. We have this shitty reputation. You always hear about these things. And a lot of people are just going in there, getting their diabetes, moving on. You know, and I'm sure there's certain Waffle House locations you can go to or hours of the night you can go to where it's more likely to have a fight erupt. But I think surfing and the Waffle House are one and the same. And I think that this guy, he just strikes me as one of the Waffle House fight types. So my penance to him is to just shift that whole mindset. Um, I'm going to recommend to him meditation. It helped Cole Hauschman. Um Every Monday on Quicksilver's Instagram, they let Tom Carroll guide you in meditation, which uh, the story behind that is this guy named Tom Cole who listens to this program. So go fuck yourself, Tom Cole. He calls Tom Carroll and he talks him through a meditation and then they talk for like 20 minutes and then Tom posts the meditation. And so I think that's a nice way to approach it. Like, you know, it's a familiar face, a familiar voice. You don't feel like it's some, you know, random guru trying to sell you something or some snake oil. It's just Tom Carroll. So my penance is for the next eight Mondays, he has to join world champion and first million-dollar contract signer Tom Carroll in meditation so that he resets that mindset and realizes that don't get into a fight on 4th of July with somebody on soft top. You're fuck. It's just not right. Don't. It's Your head's in the wrong place. All right. There you have it. You've received your penances. You can choose which one you want to pursue. And... Do them, become a better person, and heal, most importantly. Go heal, and if you see Tom Cole, tell him I said to fuck off. Thank you, as always, for listening to The Drop. If you have a surf sin of your own, send it into michael at stabmag.com or bucketstabmag.com. We want to see a video filmed vertically on your iPhone, or I guess an Android, but probably don't do that. Uh, yeah, film it vertically, 60 seconds or less, and if you get selected to be on this show and on Stab's Instagram, you will get a free year of Stab Premium, just like our last surf sinner, even if you don't think he deserves it. Uh, so yeah, with that, that's this week's news, and we'll be back soon with either Stace and myself to discuss the end of the J-Bay event, if that comes soon, or if not, next Friday, Buck and I will be back to break down all the week's news. So, that's it for The Drop. Over and out.